Welcome to Fatalists, a podcast devoted to the Supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. This is episode 69, and my name is Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne. How you doing, man? What is up, Dave? How are you today? All right, well, listen, let, let's just get right to it. I mean, right before we came on the air, we were talking about Game of Thrones, and, uh, you know, we're not going to spoil it per se for anybody, but my God, what an ending. <laughs> yeah, that was... Those of you in the know, you know, and uh, like you know, that was the the first like shocking thing that's happened on there. That I'm I'm pretty sure that that isn't in the first three books. So I I didn't know it was going to happen. So I finally got to share what the rest of the country felt when Ned Stark got his head cut off. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's been a week or so of pretty shocking endings. You haven't seen Orphan Black yet, right? I have not. Is that that's not the that's not the ending, is it? No, 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 no. But okay. but in in other words, yeah, it's a sh- oh ending of the show, right? Ending of a, a particular yeah, yeah, yeah. episode. No, so. I, have, I think maybe I watched tonight. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Continuum, which uh, yeah, I mean, certainly not on the same level, but yeah, fair, maybe not shocking, but but certainly fairly uh, fairly big deal. Um, you know, but at this time of year, there's not a lot going on genre-wise. We, we've got some summer shows coming up, but, uh, you know, outside of Orphan Black, Game of Thrones, Continuum, and like I was telling you, I've been get, digging Penny Dreadful. I mean, look, 1891 London, what's not to like? What's not to like? You know, it's it's. I think it's after the Jack the Ripper murder, so you're you're good there. You're safe. Or are you? Or, or are you? Well, yeah, you're probably not safe, per se, because I imagine it was still plenty dangerous place even without jack the ripper running around you know i'm still trying to get caught up in Mad Men, and i am almost there um as they said in star wars but so i watched it the other night and in this one episode uh don draper goes out to california and because he's he's me a, f- a friend of his lives out there and this girl shows up at the house who's a girl that he had known for a long time but hadn't seen since she was a little girl and it was the the girl who plays sarah in arrow Oh, I was like, "Hey, I know you." All right, we certainly got some arrow crossover stuff in Birds of Prey that we'll get to in a while. Yeah, most definitely. So, um, not a lot going on news-wise. I think maybe I'll hold some of this till the next episode. But just the one uh, piece that probably a lot of the fans have already seen. There's been a 20-second sci-fi promo uh, out with clips from the season four finale that states Lost Girl is going to return in 2015. Now, we know, we know it's going to return on Showcase fall of 2014, but here in the U.S., sci-fi 2015, so whenever that, uh, I would certainly think early 2015. Right. And did, did we know for sure before now that it was going to be back on sci-fi? We did not, no. Okay. A lot to look forward to, and, and they're being very coy regarding Cassinia solo you know the, all the all the uh news releases that i've seen coming out of shaw media and, and showcase network you know talking about who's going to be returning you know the fact that uh we're going to have a new character uh, no mention of Cassinia solo yeah but you know i, I think I we're right yeah, yeah yeah right so uh all right, well, you know, we're here to talk about Birds of Prey Episode 6, Primal Scream, which, uh, I, again, it, it seems like we say this each week, but the episodes, they do get better. I mean, it's not like leaps and bounds, but it's just really a strong show. You're going to talk a little bit about Zen and the art of motorcycle riding. Right. Or or, <laughs> yes, you, I, or right. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, so 
there is a a certain definitely a mystique that that goes along with the motorcycle and that goes you know all the way back to even the formation of uh, motorcycle clubs out of you know these veterans of World War II returning, uh, like you know the Hell's Angels and stuff, and and so they get back and they, you know, I don't know they get I get extra money. They want you know they're not tied down. Uh, go out get a bike, and it's this whole kind of well we know through the the late forties and the fifties. While we think of that as a time of relative stasis, in reality, it was a very turbulent time. Um, you know, people think of the '60s as being this really violent time and everything, but all those things that, like, you know, came to a head in the '60s was formed in the you know the late '40s and early '50s, uh, and throughout the '50s, I meant. And so we see this motorcycle gang in Birds of Prey, that, and you know, when they they first uh, talk to what Colin right is the leader, um, you know, that when he first tells Helena why they do this. It was all about, you know, freedom and, you know, being, not being with the status quo and going against the man and all this stuff. And that's when you see that back, even like Marlon Brando and the wild ones, you know, when someone says, what are you rebelling against? He's like, what do you got? Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, um, the, uh, easy rider. Wow. Uh, you know, easy rider, same thing, you know, let's just, you know, Put a stash of cocaine in the tank, gas up, and let's go across the country and have adventures and and everything that that the the call of the road, like from on the road, just transferred into this very individualized American thing, the the motorcycle, and and still now, you know, people who ride motorcycles, it's like you don't see a lot of like older guys. Necessarily. I mean, there are older people obviously who ride motorcycles, but it's mostly like younger people, and they're showing their kind of individuality, their rebelliousness. I'm not going to be like everybody else and get inside a safe car. I'm going to live out there on the edge on, uh, you know, a bike with a, you know, very you know powerful motor on it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what I've read, a lot of it, it really got its start with servicemen returning from World War II who used motorcycles during the course of the battle. And, you know, once they got back to the States, like the thrill, like the, you know, being out in the open air. And like you said, uh, it's a lot about being an individual. Yeah, absolutely. And then what happened with like the Hells Angels is they became really uh, tied up with the uh, counterculture movement of the 60s, especially there, uh, a chapter formed out in San Francisco that, um, you know, hung out with all those, you know, guys like Timothy Leary and, uh, you know, Ken Kesey. Um, Ken Kesey, right. And all those guys. And, um, and that, you know, as we all know, that ended up in the Altamont Festival where the the Hells Angels were called in. It was this big festival like Jefferson Airplane, the Rolling Stones. Uh, the Hells Angels are called in as security and really became violent. I mean, the crowd grew violent. The, the, the angels grew violent. They were beating people up. And eventually a guy got killed. Uh, a guy came up the front. He had a gun and they, and they stabbed him to death. And so a lot of people point to Altamont as the death of the '60s, right? Like there was the it was kind of the death now. It's when this peace and love movement all of a sudden turned violent and nasty. And uh, so I don't know. That sounds like reporters talking, but still, that, that it, it was a, a seminal moment in American history. And and I think we could kind of see that with the motorcycle club in Birds of Prey because the guy starts off saying. We're in it to be against the 
the status quo. We're in here to be individuals or rebels. And then it turns out, oh, it's really just a business thing. I got a boss just like everybody else. And I was just saying that stuff to try to get in your pants. You know? yep. So like, it, it, I think it kind of mirrors how that um, romantic ideal of what these motorcycle clubs start out with. Like the Hells Angels starting out with this let's get a bunch of dudes get together and be free and everything. And then it's like, okay, well let's get into drugs and prostitution and racketeering and murder and, and all these things, you know, they become basically organized crime syndicates. So that's that the, the, the mystique of the motorcycle in America. All right. Uh, well, like we said, uh, this episode was called primal scream and it aired on November 13th, 2002. Uh, the story was by Adam Armas and Kay Farmer, but the teleplay, Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis again. Uh, you know, we've mentioned them before. Um, it's not Adam Horowitz, the, uh, the Beastie Boy, though. Uh, it is not. You know, a lot of themes brought up tonight, but, but I thought, to me, the most fascinating is that whole line of demarcation between the vigilante and the criminal, and it's certainly something that gets explored almost every week in Arrow. Uh, in fact, they refer to him as the vigilante. Right, and it's also a big theme of well, every Batman movie ever made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know it's kind of driven home that that all three women operate on the edge on a week to week basis, uh, and more so than either of the other two, Huntress is, is kind of drawn to that dark side. And we learn it's probably genetic that, that her mother, Catwoman, was, I guess you'd have to say, uh, you know, one of the baddies. Yeah, she, well, you know, Catwoman is definitely one of the more ambiguous characters. Technically, a a baddie in that she's a thief, but also kind of a Robin Hood type character as well as as portrayed. Certainly in the um the last Batman movie, she was definitely portrayed as that. Not really giving to the poor per se, but just stealing from the rich and you know making herself wealthier. Right, which is what. You kind of thought this was going to be in tonight's episode with with the motorcycle gang. You almost thought that's what it was going to be, taken from these rich people that didn't know what to do with their money. But, of course, that's not what it turned out to be. Right. And as as we said before, yeah, it's, it starts off with the sales pitches. We're doing this to, you know, because we're sticking to the man. Um, but, yeah, it's really all about – it's very capitalistic. And Anyway, right? It's yeah. all about the the Benjamins. Yep. Now, the other thing, the developing personal relationships, certainly with Helena uh, and Reese, and then with uh, Barbara, and I can never remember his name, yeah, you know, the other teacher at her school. Wade. Wade, yeah, right. Uh, but then also the fact that Dinah's got to cope with her mother's death, and it's kind of kind of weird the way that transpires, and we'll get to that in a second, but... The opening scene I really liked, you know, Reese is sitting there just kind of playing around with the ring that Huntress gave him. And of course, you you, you knew that was going to happen. She appears and then we've got a lot of sexual banter going on between it. I mean, what what's up with these two? Yeah, and it's not like great sexual banter either, because she says, I'm like, I'm known for my response time. And I'm like. Yeah, I know that's supposed to be suggestive, but it's really not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I get what you're trying to go here with this, but uh, it's like the the it's almost like a Saturday Night Live skit, like worst sexual banter ever. Right, and but you know you wonder who the show at the time was aimed at. Yeah, you know, was it a younger audience? I mean, my guess is yes, but but it's like I guess like a, a lot of even cartoons when when we were growing up. 
the, that they were certainly aimed at kids, but a lot of the humor went way above the kids' heads. Sure, and especially it got more like that as the 90s approached, and then you get into, like, Ren and Stimpy, and then ultimately, like, The Simpsons and South Park, which was, again, cartoons, but the, the humor was all very adult humor. Yeah. All right. Well, you, we, you know, we've mentioned the motorcycle gang, and that's kind of the procedural of this episode. You got a gang of furries, um, yeah. and uh, I, you know, again, I don't know what else to call them, but uh, you know, they're wearing animal heads, I guess. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not really masks, and well, they're, they're, yeah, I guess they're yeah, they're kind of masks slash headgear. Yeah. yeah. So they, uh, you know, they're they're. Which, like, you say like how how like it's like how, how can you do that? How can you? Ride the motorcycle and pull off a crime wearing like this big latex, fully head covering mask, you know? Um, well, I mean, I guess if you can dance on top of a dugout and run up into the stands and, you know. Well, yeah, I guess. True. Um, True. Good point. All right. But anyway, uh, so, so they're, I guess, hitting these high end nightclubs and they're basically just taking jewelry. You know, they make the point, hey, nobody's going to get hurt. Just uh, give us your, give us your jewelry. Give us your your money and you know they're pretty aware of the response time of the police and and everything seems very cool calm collected organized but obviously the reveal in the first one is that huntress is one of the gang and and we come to find out she's infiltrated it right it's a very dramatic like you know head wave as the uh as a motorcycle drives off but still to my mind a little too close to the, the crime scene to be you know untake Take your mask off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and at first I thought maybe some of them were metahuman themselves, but, you know, we certainly learned that, that they're not. Right, um, it was because she, well, before we know, it's, it's, it's Huntress. Her. Right. She does some metahuman stuff and everything. But then she doesn't kill the guy, though. Right, right. Uh, but she's going by the name Cat, which eh, I thought was uh, pretty ironic, <laughs> you know, given right. the... Right, right, because it's a cat woman. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and Maybe you know, she likes Cat Stevens, though, too. Yeah, good point. Like, um, oh, baby, yeah. baby, it's a wild world. Although Jeez. I think in 2002 he was Yusuf Islam by that point. but uh, uh, Probably, yeah, you're right. Yeah, anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we learned that she, she's kind of gone undercover for Jesse, right? And, you know, he's waiting in the restaurant with the backup outside. And, and uh, you know, they're... they're sophisticated enough they're jamming the signals although at this point they don't they don't really know he's out there but his partner i don't know you know i guess boy talk about stereotypes yeah the whole uh donut motif right the donut the coffee motif it's i I, I kept waiting for him after his partner lost another coin flip you know to uh you know to show us the coin that it's the same on both sides but Right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we didn't get to that well, point. Well, you know, ultimately we knew, like, this coin flip was going to determine, like, someone, uh, you know, getting killed or, in this case, just, you know, hurt pretty bad. Right. But at what we start to see, and, we, you know, I mentioned this in the, the beginning, that, that Huntress is kind of drawn to this, this gang of, you know, bad guys. And, you know, there's a lot to understand why she's drawn to it. I mean, it's part of the thrill, obviously. But it's also part of being on a team. And, and look, she's on a team, but how many times has she said, I work alone? Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah, with nobody else. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, in her mind, she's working alone because she's in the field alone, even though Barbara is in 
generally in constant contact. But but you look at now as Dinah, you know, is learning her way and, and getting out in the field more. It's I mean, she's starting to accept her. But that whole idea of working alone, working alone and, and that, you know, I think, again, it's part of the thrill. I mean, she looks like she's having a really good time. Yeah, she's, no she, question about it. And, and she, you know, she lives off of that stuff, right? I mean, she's kind of like thrives with, you know, risky behavior. Yeah. And so she's in her element as far as that goes. Add to that, you're right, working with like a real team, you know, like a well-oiled machine type, one person calling out the time and they carry out the plan to perfection. They're out before, you know, right after they get in and, and all this stuff. Like anyone who's ever played team sports has had that feeling when you are successful in executing your game plan or whatever. Um, there, there's a, a, a jump to, there's a jolt to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we come to find out who's really, I think becoming the funniest character in the show is Dr. Quinzel. And we find out that she's the, the brains behind this whole operation. She's Mr. Big. And she had some great quotes, uh, you know, all this money and not one death, such a waste. Right. You know, I could buy such pretty things with these diamonds, guns, bombs, shoes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, and she does bring up the whole idea of D-Day. So what do you think? What's yeah, you put that on the, the notes. I'm trying to think like what that was that she said. That well, I mean, she doesn't elaborate on it, but, you know, we know she's got a plan, right, to take over New Gotham City. Yes. So, so she must have some timetable in mind. All right. Oh, what well, she says about taking over the city and everything. I thought you meant literally like, you know, June Oh, not 6th, the actual D-Day, no. I was like, when did she do that? Like, I didn't see, catch her making any historical allusions, yeah. but... Uh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Right. Like she. Right. She's got a big plan in place uh, to, you know, quote unquote, take over the city, and so. Right. And she's just accumulating money to pay for this, uh, pay for the war. Right. Well, whenever bad guys say that, like they're going to take over, I'm like, what? What? What does that mean? Yeah. Like who? You know, like it's. I guess maybe I'm naive to think there's not some people like conglomerate like that rules Baltimore and uh, and everything. I know, but there's wealthy people, there's powerful people, there's politicians, and right. and there's businessmen, and they all have a lot of influence in what happens in the city. But you no, know, so like I have she, seen the if wire. She's gonna violently. You have seen the wire. Yeah. See, I'm still working on that one. Okay. Um, not that great. Really? Yeah. 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 Okay, we talk about this now. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> like I got like the whole thing for Christmas, and then there was like Joe, my wife was like, "Okay, so I, I want to watch it too. So let's watch it together." So great. And so we watched like the first episode, and then the second episode, she falls asleep. So now we're starting this, starting the previous episode halfway through before we can watch the next episode and everything. And uh, so basically, the the long short of it is, we've watched about like four of episodes of season one and and then that's it we haven't had time to watch that yet so uh probably this summer I, I might just uh go ahead and watch the rest of the wire but uh yeah you know like from what i've seen so far season one and everyone tells me that it gets to be really really good and i know how many people have said it's like this awesome tv show but as i'm watching I'm like you know this is pretty good but this is kind of like homicide life on the street except not quite as good as homicide you know yeah all right. Well, anyway, coming back to coming back. <laughs> to Sorry, Birds that was just, you just brought I, up the. I started it. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, 
But but you know we see a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of reference points to to Helena. You know, you you were talking about one you know earlier, uh, like Mrs. Frederick, right? Yeah, because how she pops in and pops out. Obviously, this predates uh, Warehouse 13, but yeah, that Mrs. Frederick's always doing that. And what Reese says, like, oh, I hate when she does that. That's they say that every single time on Warehouse 13 when Miss Frederick either appears or disappears. Well, you know, and he says it, but I think he likes it. Sure. You know. Uh, it, well, it's exciting. She's exciting, you know. That's why all this bitching he does just drives me insane because here's like this beautiful woman. She's obviously into you. She's cool. She's gorgeous. And she's like super exciting. Like you never know what's going to happen with this girl. And so what is not to like about that? You know, oh, it's like, she, she won't tell him. Her real name. Yeah, who cares? Uh, my point exactly. Who cares? She wears black. She kicks ass. I mean, really, what's not to like? You know, um, like roll with it. it yeah. If if it you know if it works out, someday she'll probably will tell you your name. If not, then whatever. Right. Well, you know, stop it, being such a just stop 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 crying. Right. Stop right. whining. Just right. go with it. Well, you know, things start little, little. things start to disintegrate pretty quickly. Uh, you know, they've got another job coming up and they don't really tell her the location or anything and we realize that she had been spotted with Reese by uh, the girl well, and again, we, I forget. It, her it's funny like cuz we don't did, did we realize that? Like did she see him? Did we did we know that she saw him? You know, I can't remember. I I think they show I think the camera shot is like you can see the shoulder and the arm and you can tell it's a female, but I don't think you know uh, for sure. Um, because when she came in and you know and they and they you know she was made I was like how the hell did that happen? You know, I know that that the the girl saw McNally and Reese hanging outside their their lair or whatever but i didn't realize I, I i never caught how she you know figured out that helena was part of it so yeah you know if the, the gang leader colin tells huntress the boss wants to meet her right and and that's you know nobody knows who the boss is or any of that at this point bring her to this room and they've got reese tied up uh, hanging by his hands uh, or chained up rather they chain her up next to him and at first, you know, I don't know about you, but I thought it was going to be Dinah coming in to save the day because we've seen Dinah. We'll talk about her in a minute. We've seen her training physically with Barbara. So we know she's getting close and she's getting ready and she's obviously got her other skills anyway. Mm-hmm. Telekinesis, not the least of them. But uh, no, they didn't really need Dinah. Right. So I mean, well, she, she takes care of some of the guys on the outside who, who might have, you know, been able to come inside to help out and then. When the the girl tries to escape, Dinah like you know kicks her in the face to put her down. Um, you know, so in terms of the characters, uh, I mean, anything else you want to say about the uh, the actual procedural? I mean, um, you know, just yeah. Oh, well, well this is one thing that uh, I noticed, and and watching Continuum a couple weeks ago, there's this really, which to me is a very standout scene in the first lethal weapon movie where mel gibson did you see it do you remember yeah okay so you know mel gibson is uh chained up and then he's being electrocuted he's being tortured with like electroshock and he ends up like wrapping his feet around the guy's throat and choking the guy 
uh, with the the binding on his, on his feet, and then is able to free himself and everything from. And so now, whenever you see someone chained up, I think, oh, this is. And then, like a continuum, I, they almost reproduced that scene exactly when Chen escaped. Right. Like I saw him. Like, oh, this is totally like he just he he got out the exact same way that Mel Gibson did in Lethal Weapon, and then Reese doesn't quite get out the same way. But I think Helena, she's like beating guys up with their feet as she's chained up too. So that's all, all a nod to Richard Donner and his fine work of a film. All right. Well, you know, speaking of Huntress, you know, the, we've mentioned kind of in in passing here the the relationship between she, she and Detective Jesse Reese. Uh, he wants to take it to the next level, right? A little more hands on, he says. And, right. And we've seen during the course of this uh, episode that she's dressing. A little more sexy, if that's even possible, uh, for her. But yeah, you, know, you wrote that down, and I mean, I'm not to sound like a prude, but I didn't really catch that. Uh, you know? I mean, know, she looked like she was kind of like the same as before. Yeah, well, the red top, and but anyway, um, does she lie to Reese? Is withholding what she knows lying? Well, you know, who knows? But uh, you know, again, it's if they carry this out much further. You know, not that I'm going to stop watching the show because it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the show, but come, <laughs> right. come on, I'm not going to watch season two. Right, good. You know what? <laughs> I, I'm with you, but but come on, Jay's. What, yeah. What's the problem here? Well, uh, yeah, it, well, it's that that is the always this conflict you have in a TV show is how long do you draw out the sexual tension before you 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 end it. Right. And and part right. of the problem is, is this whole trust issue thing that we, we've talked about. And, you know, once the van blows up, he thinks that she knew about it and didn't tell him. And it's, you know, she she wants to say it's like, come on, you know me. But no, I really don't. But um, he does. Yeah, this is what he does. It, I know. Week, you know, like he knows her enough and to. To trust her, he's got her working right. undercover. So there, for him to put her undercover and then turn around and say he doesn't trust her, like that—that that doesn't make any sense, right? You know, right? Well, like if well, you didn't trust her, why why do you have her undercover in this biker gang? Right. And she, a couple episodes ago, she says to him, "Look, you know me enough to know I'm one of the good guys, and you don't need anything more." He takes off the ring she gave him and gives it back, and and. Not that I expected her to cry or anything, but but again, you could see the emotion in her in her face, and sure, I think know. she's pissed. You know? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, part of the problem is she doesn't know how to work as a team. I mean, like again, she does, but it's almost like in the field she doesn't. So, you know, we'll see. Um, well, and, and which is understandable though, because of her life experiences, she's very hesitant to trust anyone else certainly to put her life in someone else's hands right you know she's really not willing to do that right well uh you know we we, we go through the storyline and and you know everything gets resolved in terms of uh you know the bad guys and then you see that she's left the ring for him you know i forget what it was on but uh, you know he sees it and and you know that you know he's going to take. He takes it. Things are back the way they were. Hopefully, right. Well, because he, she saved him once again. Now, is he going to be bitching again next week? She's going to say, "How many times do I have to save your life before you trust me? You stop complaining." Yeah, yeah. Right? And just roll with it. Right. And then the final scene, or one of the final scenes with her, is with uh, again back with her 
psychologist, Dr. Quinzel. And, right. And again. Whom she almost met. I mean, just if she gets what she wants in this plan, because she wants to meet the big guy. Jesse is like, no, let's pull you out now. Let's just let's nab him now. She wants to meet the boss. But if that happens, right? Right. It's she's going to meet a person that she knows. Right. And so it's, it's a know. question of, you know, not if, but when. So Exactly. All right. Now, we don't see a lot of Barbara in in this episode, but we do see her. Or we see a lot of Barbara. Well, she's yeah, just not in a well, lot of Well, Wade sees a lot. You know, we, we don't see a lot, but they're, uh, yes. And, and uh, so what are they, uh, what are they studying now? In uh, her class? Right. So they've moved up from just writing authors' names on the board now to write both the author and the work which is, it must be like right before midterms or something. So it's uh, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, that's a good ninth grade book, right? I can't, I so. I've never read it. My, well, sister, I remember my sister read, um, I think he also wrote Love and Time of Cholera, right? I think and so. And so my sister's like, oh, yeah, read this, yeah, read this. I said, it's like, um, I don't know. <laughs> this. Yeah, it, it, to me, it wasn't much of a page turn. Yeah, you know, like we're English teachers, so you know, it doesn't have to have like all kinds of adventures and everything for me to still like it. But you know, I just had trouble getting into it. So, um, you know, I actually looked. I haven't read this one, but I did look at like what it was about, and you know, apparently it follows these people over a long period of time. This family. And it's always these people dealing with the past and with ghosts and things like that. So. Yeah, I don't know if the people on Birds of Prey got that deep, but in this episode, and actually in every episode this this season, has been people dealing with their past and with the ghosts of their past, like, you know, Dinah and her mother and uh, Huntress and her mother, Barbara and what she used to be and the people in her life. And they actually talk about how, you know, Jim Gordon and uh, and Batman, how great of a team they were. Well, obviously the big question, uh, are they going to take their relationship to the next level? And that would be a big resounding yes. Yep, they, there's definitely next level taking going on for Shizzle. Okay, now she takes them back to the clock tower, right? Uh, I I mean, that's where she wakes up. Or or did, right. I, did I miss Is it? Like... I thought, man, and now I'd have to go back. Jeez, I watched the damn episode three times uh, over the past <laughs> couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of put that in my notes. Not that I never make a mistake, but. <laughs> but it, it could be. I, I, I know, like, they woke up together and it it seemed like. Right. Now, is the clock might, tower, though. It was a place she was familiar with. Right. I mean, you know, perhaps like anything, you know, there's the clock tower and maybe the, the clock tower. But so so maybe where where all he saw was the living space. I'm sure everything else is password. Right. Like maybe but, they have like the uh, the apartments on the bottom floor and then all the crime fighting stuff on the upper levels. When he says, I just want to take care of you, you know, it's like, dude, I can't believe you said that. Right. Because you know how she's got to take it. Because she's in the wheelchair. Right, right. That that's not a not a good move. I mean, I can it's like a romantic kind of thing to say, but not even like in this day and age, like <clears throat> to to say that to a woman is that's you know, a bit of a stretch, I think. Yeah. You know? It's still chivalrous in its intent, I think. 
but also potentially uh, chauvinistic as right. well. Right. And then, of course, the other funny scene is when Helena questions her about it. And uh, uh, it's like, no, not in front of the child, referring to Dinah, but. Uh, well, no. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, right in front of Alfred. And then not Dinah in front comes of Alfred. in. Right, right, right. Um, uh, uh, then, like, Hunter says, what, like, you know, he's. Like he's heard of it, maybe or something like that. I don't know. She's got a good line there. I thought I should have written down. All right. So, so what's what's your deal with Wade? Man, I still do not trust that guy. Even even less. Even so, less now. You mean that? Uh, yeah. He's yeah. reeling her in. Right, and and maybe I, that's because I feel too possessive about Barbara. It's, it's potentially I'm gonna put that out there. It's possible, but I think he's gonna end up being a bad guy and. But the, you know, like, how would he know, right? Yeah. That that she's Oracle, right? You know. So, but I think somehow he's just going to turn out to be bad news, right? Now he one has, way or another. Now he hasn't met Huntress, right? I mean, not that we've seen, and we don't even know for no. that matter if he knows Dinah, and we don't know if he knows that Dinah is connected to Barbara. Exactly, and you know, and she met his family, but that happened off screen, so. right? Right. So, all right. Well, we, you know, if we were making predictions, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Now, I'm, I'm sticking with my prediction that he's bad news. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we'll keep an eye on that. I, I, I'm guessing you're probably right on that one. Now, uh, Rachel Scarston's character, Dinah Lance, uh, you know, we, we've mentioned she's she's training hard. But th- this episode's all about dealing with the fact that her mother, the Black Canary, died in the last episode her, her you know she always felt her mother abandoned her at age six which she did but you know w- we get some explanations in uh, episode five yeah and it, it's just a v- obviously a very difficult and confusing situation for her because she has really been harbored all this bitterness towards her mother for so long that then once she meets her it's it's difficult for her to reconcile that yeah. the the bitterness with the well, my mother actually did this to protect me, and she's and, and she's a teenager to boot, which means she's really not capable of making uh, clear headed decisions anyway. Right, right, and you know it's been ten years of you know this anger, and and that's what we see a lot in, the, in this episode. One of the first incidents is when she's training with with Oracle, and you're all fury and no focus, and. You know, who is she angry at? You know, is she angry at at her mother? Is she angry at herself? Is she angry at the fact that any hopes of reconciliation were snatched away? Probably all of the above. I would say yes to to all of those that uh, that all of those contribute to just her general sense of angst. Yeah, and it's like she explains it, and it does make sense on one level that look, I, you know, I can't be upset. I didn't really know the woman, and I guess you can understand that, but. Still, I think, but it's it's your mother though, and you know, I mean that she was with her enough that she formed a bond, right? Because she was six, yeah, right, and and not to so mention that's it's like your early formative stages. That you know, it's not like she didn't love her mom. She developed a bond. She, you know, that was her mom, right. and all of a sudden her mom abandoned her, and so that love turns into hurt, right? And not to mention the fact that she's following now in her mother's footsteps as a superhero. Correct. So. Uh, you know, it, it's again. I, I don't know how long we're going to see this. I, I would imagine it's not something that's going to get dragged out for very much longer. You know, we do see her again acting on instinct. You know, coming in, uh, 
Huntress pretty much had things well in hand, but Dinah certainly made it, uh, you know, a lot quicker at, at the end of the, uh, you know, the scene with the gang. Yes. Now, we don't see a lot of Alfred in these episodes. Usually it's like one line here and there. But, yeah, a couple uh, things, yeah. But we've got a couple things tonight. Yeah, and this is where the whole, you know, philosophy of being a vigilante in the real world kind of comes in. Um, and we you know, mentioned talking how he had talked with Barbara about how great of a team Batman and uh, Jim Gordon had been because Barbara's said, we need, I need a Jim Gordon, right? She needs a inside guy uh, with the police. Right. And it mentions it's never an easy alliance when you do that sort of thing. And then you start making the connections between Reese and Huntress. And, and I mean, it's look, it's it's the same. It's, it's all the same. And, and, you know, is it going to have the same repeat as Batman and Catwoman? Well, hopefully not. Right. But the Joker Joker still around. Right? He's not. He didn't get killed, right? right. Oh, well, well, right, because maybe I can't remember. Oh no, he's still. I mean, he's he's uh, locked up, right? Right, and and that's the whole thing that Doctor Quinzel is trying to get back with Joker, right? And they want to have uh, right. Didn't she a couple episodes ago talk about you know how they'd have beautiful babies, my green eyes, his green hair? All right, now um, Huntress and Oracle are disagreeing on tactics, and uh, why does crime fighting have to be so serious? You know, so some yeah. some good lines in this one, but the uh, the closing scene. Yeah, that's a great one. And if 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 this show were nowadays, she could say, you know, why so serious? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the the closing scene, and I'm really, you know, I think one of my favorite aspects of the show right now is the the relationship between Dinah and Helena. You know that that Helena, you know, again has been so standoffish, uh, was so reluctant to take her in from the first. But they're getting closer, and I, I, I just really like in the way that's going. Yeah, because there is the sisterly relationship, and ultimately, it's going to be the relationship that blossoms into a, you know, team in the field type thing. Now they also seen were they up on the roof? Is that what? Is that what they were? Yeah, don't they always? Yeah, that's all, they always end up right. Yeah, and she's. Helen is holding her parents' masks, right? And her talk, you know, the whole thing, my mother gave up being Catwoman when I was born. And, uh, you know, then they both get it. You know, it's like the whole thing that, you know, your mother loved you. No, your mother loved you more. Yo, your mother, you know, and, and, and that was cool because you knew what they were doing because they both were really kind of tearing themselves up with guilt probably on one level and, and regret on another level and, and just being there for each other. So that was good. Right. They both lost their mother and both had, you know, complex, you know, feelings involved with that loss. Um, but that's for, for Dinah to have someone who like totally gets what she's going through. I, that's important. You know, when you're in that much pain, I, I think it, it's, it's got to help to have uh, someone who has kind of been through it before and who knows exactly what you're feeling like. Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, anything else you want to say? I mean, good episode. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really digging this show, and, and I'm going to be sorry to see it end. We did kind of talk a little bit about maybe, you know, we're definitely going to continue doing Birds of Prey because we both really love the show. But I'm really digging, as I said, Penny Dreadful. Wayne hasn't seen it yet, so uh, we might insert uh, a little review of the Penny Dreadful 
pile it somewhere, you know, but I'll, I'll tweet it out what we're going to do. But uh, regardless, get episode seven of Birds of Prey. Be ready to go for the next podcast on that. But uh, we may do Penny Dreadful. And, and if you haven't seen it, I mean, it certainly fits in the genre category. I mean, certainly elements of horror, supernatural. Uh, yeah, maybe not so much fantasy, certainly to a certain extent, science fiction. So it, it's got them all. And it's got well, Eva am, Green, so I, I'm eager, eager to see it. Yeah, we were looking at today, and I, I thought <clears throat> I'd only seen brief uh, pictures of the uh, promos or whatever, the, the posters for the show. So I just kind of assumed there was Hell in the Bottom card I was looking at. Uh, and obviously it's not, but that I did recognize her as the, uh, the, the main Bond girl in Casino Royale. Yeah. Uh, the cool. new Casino Royale. And she was awesome in that, so. All right. Sounds good. So you guys can drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the website, fatalist.podbean.com. And you can leave us a voicemail if you want. Uh, I will continue to send out tweets letting you guys know what's going on so and what show, what episode you should watch. But until next time, we want to thank you for being with us tonight. And, Dave, uh, you know, I think – the main problem with the, the motorcycle gang here was that they were all furry and no focus. <laughs> <laughs>